as you know, the Clutch Brothers Podcast, this is your home for stick shift drag racing, stick shift tech, and more. And look who's down there getting ready to leave for sick week. My co-host, Rich Guido, the Canadian Chuck Norris. <laughs> yeah, leave tomorrow just for 3,000 miles in a 1,500-horsepower car. It should be fun. And that, and that other guy <laughs> is so uh, cool. Bill, Bill Armstrong. And he's wearing a real nice shirt tonight, too. Yeah. Yes, a little uh, G-Force, G-Force gear, <laughs> that's for sure. And, Rich, who, who do we have the pleasure of talking to tonight? Well, you know what? I'm just going to introduce him. How about that? <laughs> tonight we have a guy who can not only win the stick shift elite class in real life at tx2k but he can also do pretty well in the internet popularity contest <laughs> miles kerr welcome to going, the podcast guys? miles yeah thanks for having me this is uh honestly this this style of podcast is definitely the first i've ever done so i'm kind of intrigued with it so so you must be famous you've probably done have you been on Joe Rogan and I just missed that one? No, no, no. I have not been on Joe Rogan. <laughs> not, <laughs> definitely not that famous, like by far, not even close. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, what, what are we looking at behind you? What do you got there? Yeah, so this is, uh, this is, this is my garage. Um, you know, uh, a little quick insight about me. I manage a shop called English Racing, and uh, I live really close to the shop itself. And... Uh, the last year and a half, I've actually done like all the work I can to this car, including like rebuilding the motor, transmission, like everything happens like in my garage next to my house. So, um, and uh, this is a 1994 Acura Integra that's all-wheel drive. Nice. Does that mean it has like a CRV transfer case in it? So I actually daily drive a 99 CRV. Funny enough. And my daughter uh, has one of those. We just worked on yeah, it today, well, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it has some parts of that transmission uh the transfer case it, the the base is the transfer case and it has like actually for example we'll get some broken transmission parts that what? you know yeah wait the stick, stick guy has broken transmission parts laying around exactly so transfer case <laughs> itself has these little hypoid gears in it right so oh, this goes to the tail shaft those ones are cute. To, yeah, these are really small because I don't have big hands and it barely fit and it fits in there real easy. So it's a pretty, <laughs> they're small parts. Let's just say that much. And, uh, you know, I've, I've actually killed, these are aftermarket ones. They're made by PPG out of Australia and I've broken two of them so far. But the biggest just, problem that, that seems to happen to me is actually this bearing right here has failed t twice now. And when huh. that bearing fails, everything gets a little long. And uh, the first time it failed, I was like, okay, I got to check it at this many times. And now I've broken two of them. And it's really come down to a maintenance item. And now I know how many times that, but after 15 or 20 passes, it needs to be looked at. And then once I look at it, then I decide, all right, do I just replace the bearing or what needs to get done? So, you know, I haven't <laughs> actually been racing this car in terms of drag racing it for, and I guess this will, this will be going on the second full year. But last year, 23, I hit it probably the hardest I ever had. So I really learned quick what breaks and what doesn't. And transmission and uh, transfer case parts have been the two biggest things for me. And I'm I'm guessing those are pretty uh, – they do like a buy one, get one. You order like a six-pack of those. <laughs> yeah, I wish. So like these are uh, 
these two are like 2000, 2100 bucks. And then you have to have someone like, I don't, I send them to my buddy. He rebuilds them. Uh, you have a billet transfer case with it too, which I don't have that in here right now. Cause it broke just recently. So it's not in here. Uh, actually it's somewhere around here. Now that I think about it, where is that thing? Uh, yeah. So that, uh, billet transfer case, billet gears, billet bell housing itself, a company called speed factory racing. You guys probably know who they are. They, they've got the only six second, you know, stick civic as of right now. So, uh, Wow. They, yeah, so they've got, they build uh, the bell housing, so it could bolt right into a stock CRV, actually, the bell housing would. And then um, it's just got, you know, PPG four speed transmission inside and, you know, a, a clutch and a valve for the clutch. And um, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a lot of the front wheel drive Hondas out there, except I just kept it all wheel drive. I made it all wheel drive because all the roll racing and the half mile stuff I started doing initially. Uh, you can only put so much down on a small tire and a front wheel drive car. So you're, you kind of get limited. And so here I am, I just, I was like, you know, what's it going to take to make the car all wheel drive? And they had finally had the recipe. And so I bought it and now I'm just maintaining all the broken parts. <laughs> so I love it. I love it. Why don't we back so, up a bit? How long have you yeah. owned this car? I bought this car in 06, hundred percent stock to the T everything so daily driver? it was a daily driver up until probably 2011 or something like that maybe you know i think sometime around there so it was a daily driver for i put a hundred thousand miles on it so it was a daily driver for quite a while yeah and it wasn't it it i i put a turbo on it in like sometime in like 2008 i think the car got stolen from uh the local mall which you know in that 07 to 2010 range hondas were like the most stolen thing ever and i walked into the i walked into the mall funny enough to get some jeans hemmed cut and uh, came out and the car was gone <laughs> and uh two days later i got a phone call from the cops they asked like you know hey we found your car and the first thing i said in how many pieces and they're like no it's not drivable I'm like well doesn't really tell me a whole lot still <laughs> and uh so I ended up getting out of the tow yard and like it's like they started tearing the front of the car apart, but never finished or stopped in the process of it for whatever reason. And uh, I got the car back a couple of days later. I sent it up to the shop that I work at now, and they put the thing back together. And I got like, and I got five hundred dollars more than I paid for the car back then uh, from insurance. Bought the car back for two hundred and forty-three dollars. Bought a turbo kit, and that was like the start of it. Nice, nice. I yeah. love that story. Yeah, retirement eighty five coming at you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, educate us a little bit. It's an Acura, but it's really a Honda drivetrain. So, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, is Acura a, like, do you have a K series? Like, that's that's about the extent. No. Like, I don't know if you want to go fast, you have a K motor in it, right? Oh, it's fighting words for a lot of people right there. Oh um, <laughs> not me. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I, you know, I mean, we could, we could argue that, but the fastest is still a B series at the moment, both front wheel drive and all wheel drive. So, okay. um, the B series motor, you know, it's been around since the late eighties, early nineties, essentially. And this is the, this is, this is the original style motor that came in this car. So this is a true GSR 
chassis. So it came with like a 1.8 liter VTEC engine. And, um, you know, I thought about switching to K-Series because everything K-Series is much easier when it comes to all-wheel drive, the same factory transmission case, all the PPG gears go into that. And there's a lot of K-Series out there. The B-Series, like parts for this car are getting harder to find. You know, people are starting to make billet parts and everything, but it definitely gets down to this, you know, it's hard to find the stuff these days. And I would say the K-Series, there's a lot of easier stuff for sure. So and, um, doesn't stand for billet automatically, right? No, it doesn't. No, no. I mean, you could say B stands for better, you know, K stands for killer. Like there's a lot of things they oh, say, okay. but All right. I do have a billet motor I'm assembling right now for this one because this is technically on a stock cast block still. And it's made, uh, I put on the dyno like two months ago and it made, it broke the transfer case in the process of it. So that's what this one's from. And uh, it made 1498 and 998 foot pounds at 8100 RPMs. So, and it was it was like a it was like a 45 degree angle going up when it broke. So, you know, my assumption was it makes somewhere in the 1600 range to the wheels, and that was all wheel drive too. Um. Okay. Wow. So, yeah. How big? It's a 1.8 liter motor. It's a 1.9. Three, you know, eighty fill, eighty-four millimeter bore and eighty-seven millimeter stroke. So, uh, pretty small gotta, motor in the grand scheme of it. I got to get my calculator out here. So, sixteen hundred tire. So mm -hmm. let's say that, like, what do we figure? One hundred and fifty to drive the transmission, maybe. Well, all-wheel drive is probably a little more. Like it, it might even be two two fifty in an all-wheel drive. I don't know. Mm. So that yeah, means I, like eighteen hundred horsepower at the crank. Yeah, I'd say it's probably a realistic. I mean, the car's trapped one ninety five at twenty seven hundred pounds. So yeah. that's four hundred and fifty horsepower a hole, dude. Yeah, that's impressive yeah. as hell. So let's see. Yeah, so thank you. If 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 my car was doing that, I'd only be making thirty six hundred horsepower at the crank. <laughs> When you start when you start going off of either displacement or the size of the cylinders, like you know the small motor Hondas or small motor you know small motor import motors do really well. They just don't stay together as well as we yeah. know. So how much boost is that? Uh, it made almost eighty pounds when it made that pound. Almost. Oh my god! Yeah, that's insane. I'm like, maybe I should push mine to twenty. <laughs> Yeah, so, but you drove yours three thousand miles, so like you got to get it there. So you you run a couple more pounds, like that might be the difference of make or break a car like yours. So getting it home is even more important. You'll get it, yeah, 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 yeah. That 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 takes some crazy dedication. I I admire that, and one of my goals I think this year is to start a dragon drive for the car. To be honest, so no, right on. That's um, impressive, Miles. Yeah, back back to your motor. So is it? It's a stock cast block and yeah. So I'll I'll do a quick rundown. Um, yeah. Cast stock cast block, 1.8 liter B, B18C1, which is a GSR engine, and it has Darton sleeves, uh, BME aluminum rods and pistons, which look just like this, little guys. Um, it's so cute. Not, it's 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 cute and small, exactly like you know, not a whole lot, not a whole lot in terms of size. And uh, I have a custom head gasket combo that um, it's a fire ring, but it has uh, nine individual cylinder head dowels. 
so that I that um uh, oh, my wow. my friend yep a friend from uh, Extreme Turbo Systems his name's Ken he did this for their GTRs and I actually used to struggle about 1400 horse on the stock block and start pushing water out uh, I did the firing it didn't do anything because this is still a full wet block so it doesn't have solid block it's full wet block still and so every single cylinder has a uh, head stud in it obviously and then a two inch dowel. And the two inch dial are, are like a one thou press. So when you're pulling the head off, you're hammering the head up and down to get this thing off. And that actually gave me, I feel like a ton more, a ton more force to keep the head on there. And um, I will say when I made that 1600 or the 15, right at 1500 wheel, it pushed more water than it ever had, but that's the most power I've ever made with it too. Um, and I did like, four back-to-back poles so you know you build a lot of heat the pressure builds up more we could yeah. say we could say that maybe it was that but i know that it's like on the edge um because most people at this level which there really aren't that many there's you know under 10 probably that have been at this level they switch to a billet block because the stock block i mean it just moves around there's a lot of movement and that's what i felt like is always going on so <laughs> I felt like the sleeves move, everything just moves. And if the head and the blocker clamped together best they could, the ability to everything move around would be much less. So um, so I did that. It still runs a factory style camshaft. So it still idles on the non VTEC side. And it then, so, you know, those who know, basically it's three rockers. The two rockers are always running. Uh, and then at X amount of pressure or not pressure, but RPM, there's a little shaft that locks all three rockers together and you go to like a big single cam. So in layman's easiest terms. So yeah. you go from a small cam to a big cam with uh, just the switch of a, you know, of a solenoid essentially. And um, it has all GSC power vision drop, uh, valve train, valve springs, cams, uh, four piston ported head. And, and as far as an engine, that, that's basically it. It's stock, stock crankshaft. Um, so nothing crazy, you know. I am amazed that the block itself will stay together at that power level. I like, like we've seen pictures of of was it Jamie or Brent? Jamie, or, yeah. My his, God, his car. Yeah, the whole thing came apart. I remember watching that, and I remember listening to him say like the electronic wastegate or something messed up, so the car went like eighty pounds boost in the burnout box on a limiter. And it looked like to me, it like blew a head gasket right then. And then when the head gasket blew, it just went, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah, that's definitely impressive. crazy. Yeah. How so, yeah. Um, apparently. <laughs> honestly, they do really good. Like Honda right. did pretty damn good for what, for what they are. They still do really good. These days, some of the newer motors, you could argue that, you know, they're definitely more efficient in some ways. But, you know, the... The interesting part is when, when the K-Series and the B-Series race in the same series, they all have the same turbo rules and everything. You know, they have the same turbo rules, and they can all run the same kind of transmissions. But the B-Series cars are still at the front, um, you know. So you could argue that in the turbo world, the B-Series are better, and in all-motor world, the K-Series definitely better. Yeah. So tell let's talk about your – it's a stick shift, so let's talk about the clutch program because I, I'm not super educated on the import scene, but my understanding is you guys yeah. don't have the option to run a slipper clutch or an adjustable clutch. So what what do you do? 
Yeah, at, at this level, we don't. Obviously, the the rear wheel drive engine cars that are chassis cars and fast that with import motors, they can run a like a slipper style clutch. I just run a, a clutch tamer, it's called, and yep. um, you probably know what it is. And uh, so I run that. I put that in like three years ago. Um, you know, I race another car for the shop. Uh, this is my personal car, but I've raced an Evo 10 for the shop. That car is a little, a lot more difficult because it's an all, a true all-wheel drive car with a center differential when this is direct drive with a viscous. So uh-huh. I can blow off the front tires on this car, no problem. But the Evo, when it spins the center diff's like oh we're gonna do something here so then it like actually has like a two to one multiplication so like you can spin a front tire 120 miles an hour even though it should physically not be able to do that in this first gear yeah and uh so they they require a lot more clutch stuff um but yeah i just run a clutch tamer uh, i have um i activate it off of uh, a button so i can turn it on or off if i want it on my keypad and at X amount of pressure, I've learned what's good for slip, what's not, how it holds. And um, I hold it for usually a mile an hour. And then I have a race time limiter in first gear. So you're using the, if I'm not mistaken, it's the Hitmaster one with the it's solenoid? It's the Hitmaster, correct, yes. The okay. solenoid with a line lock, essentially. Yeah, it's like a two-stage, he calls it, yeah. Yep, yep, I'm, I'm familiar with that. I, I've heard really good things about them. So it works. I, not there's, but. there's not a lot out there for us. You know, I just run a standard diaphragm triple disc clutch and uh, I actually run the factory uh, clutch fork and everything with mine. A lot of people switch to the like Tilton style. I just kind of kept everything how the car was. And, you know, I've gotten to the point where I, I can go out and uh, on different surfaces with different tires because I've I've got three different kinds of tires, slicks, uh, a hard tire, and like a bias ply radial, not a radial, but a bias ply non-slick. And I've raced that like multiple different surfaces. So I've kind of learned where the cars be at what time and, you know, how much slip makes the car fast on a, on a good track, et cetera. So um, yeah, well, I've learned it, a lot. Is it an external slave then if you're using a clutch fork? Yes, it has an external slave that bolts right to the uh, uh, transmission okay. itself. Factory factory piece also. So the throw-up bearing itself is mechanical on the clutch fork, and then the slave Correct. is yes. modulating. Okay. Yeah, which I've got some pieces over there if we wanted to see it. But, yeah, essentially, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm familiar yeah. with the style. I just uh, – is that is that what those cars came with back? That's back? exactly what they came with factory, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Talk talk about the clutch itself. Imagine it's double, maybe even triple disc centered iron. It's got to be something yep. aggressive yes. to hold power. Yep, it's just a competition clutch stage three off the shelf. I've got to be like right at the limit. It's just uh, triple ceramic, ceramic metallic. Yeah, nothing super crazy. Not seven, even seven seven and a quarter. Yeah, seven, seven and seven and a quarter. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. How much so, pressure yeah. on the uh, pressure plate? You know, I don't I don't know what their actual pressures are. Um, that's a good question. I wish I probably knew that. I just know what my pressure is when I press the clutch in. But yeah. that also varies if you have the clutch fork and if you have the Tilton style. So when I went to this one, actually, like the line lock, the valve that they send that, that um, they send with uh, wouldn't hold the pressure my car runs at. So mm-hmm. I actually like 
dude, I spent a week bleeding this thing, changing, going through all these different things to then find out that like I had a combo that everyone who was, who I talked about has never had. So then I had to do a different style line lock that'll hold 2000 pounds of pressure and everything worked great. So yeah, what, uh, what, the kind, hard way. what kind of clutch pressure do you see when you push it in? So it sounds like your mom's uh, about 13, 13, 20 is peak, you know, and it varies if you rev the engine up and do you pump it? You know, sometimes you pump it back to back, you'll get a little more, but if you just stab it and push it all the way down, it's like 1350, 1380 is about the most I see. God, that's gotta be a hell of a pressure plate. Uh, because I'm like, <clears throat> I have a test bench. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, I have a digital clutch control device that we sell as yep. well. I don't know if yeah. you're yeah. but on the test bench, I have a, um, what is it? A McLeod original street twin. So it's a mm -hmm. 10 and a half inch disc. Dude, I only see 300 pounds of pressure on yeah. the test bench. Yeah. And that's like an 1800 pound pressure plate. So you must be, geez, what do you think? Like 2000? It's, <laughs> it's gotta be way up there. Yeah. I'd say probably somewhere in the 2,500 to 2,000 range would be my guess. It's interesting. Like we have the same clutch valve, uh, the Tamer on our, uh, on our other cars, our Evos, and they're actually uh, an eight and a quarter, eight and a quarter, I believe, um, uh, clutch size. And they see a maximum like seven, maybe 800. And but we, we kind of <clears throat> talk about how like we're currently in the issue of slipping the clutches in those cars now. And I haven't had the problem yet. So we're like, well, maybe this clutch will work for those cars too. And like, it's a pretty cheap clutch for what it is, to be honest, a triple disc under $2,000 that drives pretty decent and holds what it is. It's kind of hard to beat, you know? That's impressive. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What yeah. Wow. So the best I've been so far is like a 128. Um, I, I, one thing about this car that's not normal is I run all four, t all four wheels and tires are the exact same size. Most of all the other Hondas run like a 13 inch in the front on like maybe a 10 inch wide wheel with a 13 by 24 and a half by nine or nine and a half. I actually run 15 by 24 and a half by eights all around because I don't have a wide front end on this car. It has all stock body panels still. So I've gone the direction of I want to be able to just bolt on whatever tires and wheels, not have to raise the car, lower the car, change anything, and go race however I want. So um, that's the best I've gotten. I do feel like there's a little more. The you know World Cup Finals, I had to drop turbo size from an 80 mil that I've been running to a 73, and I had to add about 80 pounds. And I went consistently. I went a 129 and 130 three times there, and uh, I learned a little there. So I'm. I'm feeling pretty good about this year and what my dreams are, my goals, and hopefully in the, you know, mid one twenties would be awesome. But anywhere in the one twenties or one three Oh, I'll be pretty happy. What, what does that car weigh with you in it? Yeah. So for world cup, I had to be 2770. And when I trapped 195, it was 2680 with the, um, 8085 on it. I'm hoping this year to start off, it'll be 2,600 pounds with me in it. So not quite as heavy as your guys' cars. Well, we not have all. four more cylinders than you. You got four more cylinders and lots of big uh, steel body panels too. Yeah, that's it, true. It's just, yeah, that's it's true. just super cool what you guys do with four cylinders. So describe your burnout in your car. Do you like? Do you just do? Can you switch? No burnout. I wish. 
that would be awesome, but I can't now. You say you can't uh, do there's, there's, You could do a mechanical disconnect, but then getting it to reconnect again is kind of a little difficult. Um, but yeah, I, I don't do a burnout at all, actually. I just roll around the water, bar, water box and pull up to the line. Nothing. And go wow. 70s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. It's and definitely fun. Clutchless shifting, do you use a strain gauge or? Strain gauge, yeah, strain gauge. It's probably one of the most fun things about about a car, honestly. Yeah. Like the strain gauge shifting is, you're just like, da, da, da. I love it, yeah. Strain yeah, gauge dog box. That's still, awesome. It's H pattern, right? It is H pattern, and, and they, they make lockout shifters and stuff. I don't actually have a lockout shifter or any lockouts at all. So I'm definitely playing with fire every time I race this car. Have you money shifted it? <laughs> Knock on wood, not yet. <laughs> nice. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah. You're going to ruin it now yeah. for me. <laughs> what kind of question was that? <laughs> that's a good way to put it, yeah. <laughs> I've definitely screwed stuff up, but that's one of the things I've loved and fortunate not to. Like the, the Evo 10 that I raced for the shop is actually a five-speed H pattern, so I shipped fifth down the track right about the eighth. Wow. And that car's been that car's been 776 at 189 and it's 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 more of a challenge to drive than this car like by far um it's more fun to drive this car is a much better race car side by side and actually being able to cut a light and uh also it's my personal car so there's a lot of a lot of love in this one yeah that's awesome that's awesome <clears throat> um yep oh I was gonna, so I've, um, you've been using a, the strain gauge for quite a while? Yeah, I've been using the strain gauge uh, for probably five years now because it's been all-wheel drive. This will be the start of like, this will be the, the third year, and uh, I've had a strain gauge on the car for probably five or six years, yeah. It, it was interesting talking to Jamie and Brent from PFI, and um, so I use a shift cut knob. So it's just got yep. micro switches in it. Um, but definitely the advantage of the strain gauge is <laughs> telling you how hard you're trying to rip the shifter out of the out of the transmission. But there's, you know, if I had a gear position sensor, it would actually instead of a gear estimate, I use the ECU uses gear estimate right now. So if I had a gear position sensor, I could probably have some faster shifts because it would know exactly when it's in gear. So then the ECU can apply the power sooner. Right now it's just the time based. So that would be the dream one of these days. Yeah. And what I kind of ECU do you run in that setup? Yeah, actually, this car is a, on a Motec M150 and a John Reed Racing uh, uh, B-Series Honda package. Very cool. Um, Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's like Motec is uh, pretty awesome. It's, kind of it really is. We All of our race cars are on Motec M1. This car has been on a Motec M1 since 2016. Uh, when I first was, when I was still driving the car a lot on the street, like, you know, every weekend I would drive it. I still drive odd, as weird as it sounds. Like I still drive this car more than anyone that has a Honda at this level. I drive it a lot. It's got full interior right now. It's got all door panels, all factory stuff. So, you know, it's missing AC and a, and a heater. That's what it really needs. <laughs> so, one thing I love that you said is you've got it set up with the same size tire all the way around, which. Yes. Truly is ideal for a dragon drive. And well, the, I'm, I'm not joking when I said it's going to happen. So uh, I've got a radiator combination that I've got because I, you know, we build cars for a living at the shop I work at. So, you know, 
I know if I drive this car for more than about 35 minutes, 40 minutes on an 85 degree day, it just struggles to stay cool. So I had PWR make me like literally this radiator is, it's over here, it's huge. Uh, two brushless fans. So that's actually going to go somewhere in the back of the car underneath. And I'm going to duct it out the rear bumper is the plan. We'll see if I've got room for it and uh, oil coolers and still figuring out what I'm going to do for the fuel system because I run methanol all the time. Uh, and I get like 14, 15 miles to the gallon on it on methanol. But uh, driving a car on methanol for that long, I feel like it's <laughs> going to be hard to get methanol. Yeah. What What are your concerns too with like, I don't run methanol, but mm -hmm. it seems like if you're running that much fuel through the motor, just driving it down the road, that you're just going to wear stuff out and dilute the oil and everything else. So the oil definitely doesn't dilute. Um, oil temperature plays a big factor in that. Um, like if I fire this car up when it's dead cold and let it run for five minutes and I look at the oil, it's all nasty and milky, right? And that's just inherently how methanol, that's what happens. But if you let it sit for, let's say, 25 or 30 minutes idling and the oil temperature gets above 150, 160 and it starts going up and kind of hangs out there, everything in there burns off and it looks like it looks brand new. Oh. So I will say that the wearing out the cylinders is is probably a real thing because I rebuilt the motor the beginning of last year, about this time, right before Texas. And the cylinder walls were completely worn out. Like there was like almost no crosshatch, nothing, none of that left. So that's definitely something that is an issue. Um, I would say if you put enough miles on it and, you know, I might've put 1,500, 2,000 miles on the car in a year. And that's, that's about, that's probably about what I put on through it. So I would say that, uh, yeah, that is, that is a problem. And I'm still up in the air on what I'm going to do, the way my fuel system is set up on this car, it wouldn't be difficult for me to add four more injectors and run pump gas on four injectors and have eight injectors on methanol. Um, there's a couple of ways I've thought about doing it because uh, at the power I wanted to make, I don't trust the car on, meth on ethanol, you know, 70, 80 pounds of boost on ethanol, not, not, a, not a good idea, right? Well, um, so it runs a surge tank right now with a mechanical pump feeding it off the distributor where the distributor would be. And I could turn that smart, that two and a half gallon surge tank into a true standalone tank, keep the methanol and everything situated there. Then the rear tank that I have in the car, which is five and a half gallons and a single primer pump, I could make that the pump gas side. So I could have a dual fuel system car at all times. That's just going to add more complexity and more stuff to the car. So haven't quite decided what I'm going to do for the drag and drive stuff, but I've got about six months to really think about it hard. Well, some people have had pretty good luck with that dual fuel stuff. Um, yeah. In fact, the guy you, the guy that beat you in the voting thing, Garrett. Um, yeah. He's got that set up in mullet, and I think I know yep. someone else is thinking about that too. Do, do you know who I'm talking about, Rich? Yeah. Well, I'm looking at methanol too. Um, <laughs> honestly, straight up, I'm going to go to sick week this time, and I just, I just dry deck mine and O-ring my, my. Uh, block so if i can go down there and crank up the boost a bit and run sub 850 then i, mm -hmm. I might actually just stay with c16 and not switch over the big it's it's about 100 pounds in my car uh with yeah. getting rid of all of the air to water which would be a whole lot nicer on the transmission 
drive shaft and axles and we, engine you know, everything right? <laughs> everything yeah. yeah but we'll see it it's it's pretty um like a, it's really safe on c16 mm-hmm. and yeah. you know going through the traps at like 80 degrees the air to water is that efficient so Mm-hmm. This is really safe, especially when you're 3,000 miles from home. It's kind of nice to have that. Um, it's, not... it's kind of a long, it's kind of a long, long drive or tell, tell home. <laughs> yes, yeah, it would be a plane ride probably. Just leave it down yeah. there, leave the trash down leave there, leave it down there, and get it back. Yeah. yeah, my my dual fuel system would be like actual true dual fuel system to where like you don't actually unhook anything. All you do is you put unhook trailer and you go and drive. So the eight injectors would come on at X amount of boost with the methanol and it would be a whole seamless dream. That That's my dream at least. So, yeah, that's, and that I is that, what I would, that is what yeah. I would do too. I would, uh, I think that'd be, it. yeah, I'd, be, I'd have the exact same as you. I'd have a, probably a three or four gallon methanol tank in the front standalone to mm-hmm. eight of its own injectors. And then the pump gas would be on its eight of its own injectors as well. But yeah, I think that would, lots of the, that's what I would yeah, lots of the Dragon Drive guys uh, do that. Um, I think Tina Pierce. Um, yeah, there's there's a bunch of people that do that. You can hear it transition from pump gas, and then when you let off at the end, it's right back to pump gas, and you can cruise yeah. back. And you know, two or three gallons gets it done. But yeah, we we built a half mile car GTR that's set up the exact same way. Actually, eighteen injectors total, twelve on methanol. Uh, uh, six on pump gas and basically at 15 pounds of boost, it's basically hundred percent methanol all the time. And that uh, has a secondary tank, a fuel system, all that stuff. So it's been 232 so far in the half mile. Wow. And, uh, you could drive the car around like a stock car, you know, in terms of you just put pump gas in it. So that's kind of my dream. There's already just a lot of shit in this car. So adding <laughs> more to it is yeah. So miles on that GTR, uh, how big mm-hmm. are those methanol injectors? Yeah. So actually, same size injectors I run. I run uh, two sets of uh, tw- ID twenty six hundreds. So that car has uh, twelve ID twenty six hundreds, and then oh, I run yeah. obviously mechanical pump, and I run about a hundred and fifteen pound base. Oh yeah. And how much power does like? I'm just trying to think about like fuel supply and methanol. So like, let's just use a GTR for example. Did mm-hmm. you say? 12 so two injectors per cylinder and each injector is 2600 three total technically um on that car two on methanol one on pump but obviously it switches to just straight so yeah two injectors 2600 cc each and uh like it's probably very similar to how much this car consumes like this car is about 85 percent injector duty cycle at 79 80 pounds boost at you know 95 9000 rpms and um it, it's a lot of fuel so if you're on what is your car on ethanol or methanol now mine's on or pump ethanol gas. or pump pump, pump, pump gas, gas. So, and then c16 at the track so you'll so, need double the injector that you have right now just to make the same power yeah so so like that gtr how much power is that producing with that much injection. It's been it's made 2100 almost 2200 horsepower to the wheels on our dyno. And that's those injectors are like 80%. They're probably 85 to 90% in that range, yeah. My god, that's so much fuel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean so mine is fuel. like mine is still I have uh, ID 2000s in mine and mm-hmm. it's less than 50%. 
I was yeah. going to say it's probably 50%. Yeah. Yeah. It's not much. Like, it's like maybe 47, 48% on C16. Yeah. So, I mean, C16 is yeah. nice. You don't ever have to worry about it being, you know, an issue, right? Like, the octane's there. Like, you know, I'm, I remember when I was out of fuel system years ago, I would mix, I would mix, I was on, you know, E98 and we would mix, you know, 50% C16 and, and methanol or an ethanol to be able to have, make more power and still have a little bit of the ethanol side of it. So, I love yeah. the smell of C16 and Q. Like they're my two favorite smelling fuels for sure. <laughs> yes, yes. It's that smell of money. That's what it is. It's the smell of money. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and everyone's like, like I said, we build a lot of street cars for customers. So they're like, well, I want to go to ethanol. And I'm like, well, like you could not spend $3,000 right now and just buy $3,000 worth of C16 over the next year and a half. And it's probably safer in some ways. So, you know, that, that, ha I, I have the argument all the time with people, not argument, but it's like, there's different ways you can do this. Still. So uh, let me ask another question. Um, since you guys yeah. do a ton of race cars, um, yeah. clearly you have clients that want to run E85. Mm -hmm. So uh, initially I was running, like I would run E70 because I didn't have quite mm -hmm. enough fuel pump. And when I talked yep. to Aeromotive, they were like, they couldn't believe the power I was making even on E70 with the, the pump I had. Aeromotive is very, uh, conservative on their ratings well that's good to know <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah but my concern always was you know everybody's like oh 85 so cheap yeah but pump 85 they're probably mixing the base fuel is like the worst gas and they need the so like how safe is that actually in a race motor like i would still be wanting to change fuels and put a race e85 if i was going to go that route that's and and we've we've actually uh we kind of have a like not that we build a lot of race cars we build a lot of customer street cars you know street cars uh and um so we kind of have a anything above 35 40 pounds of boost and these are small motors we recommend a e98 pump 92 mix so anything above you know anything below 40 pounds 35 to 40 45 pounds we're like hey we need to make sure this is good uh mixed fuel so we actually have like 700 gallons of E98 that gets delivered to us whenever we need it at the shop. And uh, we'll mix that fuel with pump 92 for a higher quality E85. Mm. After 50 pounds of boost, we recommend a race ethanol of some sort or just switch the car to methanol. Uh, so I know 1LR, uh, C85, um, Ignite Red, all of those, excuse me, are a, like a, a higher octane or a better E85. And so when someone says I'm on pump E85, you could be on pump E85, but if you're running a lot of boosts, making a lot of power on it, we feel like you're probably getting to the point of being truly octane limited. Like you said, they can mix the stuff with like 40 or 50 octane, really crappy fuel uh, pump gas. And, yeah. you know, there is, there, there is different quality E85s. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I feel like they look at that as an opportunity to get rid of the junk fuel and they just mix it with alcohol, you know, E85 or ethanol yeah. to just get rid of the junk fuel. Cause you can't, yeah. I, I think so. I mean, if you're on like a, obviously in your aspect, you've got a, a V8, right. You've got uh, probably, like you said, uh, 25 to 30 pounds of boost at most truly like E85 out of the pumps, probably <laughs> maybe if you're 20, you know, but you know, 15, yeah. 20, 25 pounds really isn't a big deal on pump E85. Right. And 
people have this this thought that just because the ethanol content's higher, it makes so much more power. It really doesn't make more power from E85 to E98, but it's safer, you know? Yeah, and and so the stoichiometric ratio for power is like in the nines for ethanol, right? And then for methanol, it's in like the threes or fours, right? So you're still way more fuel on methanol than you are on ethanol, even like E98. Yeah, I mean it's like thirty or forty more per thirty or four thirty to forty more percent fuel. Yeah, yeah from E ninety eight to M one methanol. Yeah, yeah, and I've actually dabbled. We've dabbled a lot with M five methanol for years too. M um, five mm. just harder on stuff like the the pins, the bearings. No matter you know you make another five percent more power. But uh, Bill from uh, BME, he's like, you're taking the best fuel you ever can, M one methanol, and mixing it with something that, and he says zero octane. And so you're making the uh, methanol lower quality octane than M1. And yeah, it makes more power, but it's definitely harder on stuff. Uh, the pins and, always bend, everything. And so for the people listening and maybe even one of the co-hosts, educate us on what M5 is. So M5, I believe, has 5%. I, I, I don't want to say it's nitro, but it's 5% something that I believe is a nitro of some sort. Someone told it to me once and I forgot, but the consensus is it's got some, it's got nitro mixed in with it and it truly does make 5% power just putting it in your car. Like it, I've done the test on the dyno. It really makes 5% more without changing a single thing on the car. And if you're in an, go ahead. So, so if it's, if it's nitro, which I think, yeah, I think that's correct. Um, yeah, that's, more oxygen because nitromethane is an it's an oxygen bearing yes. fuel, so that's where the power Correct. is coming from. Yes, yeah, the okay. power is from bringing its own oxygen. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, awesome. So we we dabbled and did a lot of that, um, and uh, you know we we've never like a lot of people go to it and treat it like you treat M1. Like some people run M1 really lean, some run it really rich. Uh, the tuning window on M on M1 is huge. You've got a lot of variants you can go. The M5 is like this big. Oh. So, uh, yeah, so it's a lot smaller, which is why people are like, we don't run M5. Like a lot of places, a lot of a lot of the fastest cars out there, you'll probably see none of them run it, really. Mm. Not many do. So the car behind you, is that a giant yes. air cooler I'm looking at? Air that is a giant uh, air-to-air intercooler, correct, yeah. Okay, so what, at 80 pounds of boost, what kind of intake temps are you seeing? And, I and see probably a 50 to do you check temp before and after the intercooler? I don't have before. I have it all plumbed for before. Like there's sensors and wiring and stuff. There's wiring over there, but I never installed the sensor. Um, so I only know what I start out with and what I end with. And at, uh, let's say, 70 pounds of boost on the big turbo, I have about a 40 to 50 uh, degree uh, spike. So it's pretty close to ambient, probably 10 to 15 above. And it ends up, let's say, in the 125 to 140 range. So it might start in the 70 and go up to, or in the 90 and go up to 130 to 140. So you're only seeing a 40 to 50 rise in a pass, making that much boost. Depends on how cold it is, what turbo let. But I've, I've, I've varied, and this is a fast reacting one. Um, 40 to 40 to 70 above ambient is 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 about the average, depending on the boost, which turbo I have ambient outside but yeah that's a pretty mm. good number yeah that's impressive. That's, that's very impressive yeah it's I, it's a really big intercooler it's 12 inch by 
five by uh, 26 core, I believe. So it's, it's pretty big. Big, yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's big. It's yeah, it's, and it's, it's shrouded the front bumper. It's shrouded all around. There's a lot, of, a lot of duct tape or Gorilla tape that holds it together. That's why I got a couple of stacks of them over here, but half the car is held together with a lot of that stuff. Speed tape, as I like to call it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I, uh, right. I want to back you up. I want to uh, ask you some more questions. Uh, yeah. So you, you do a burn or you don't do a burnout. And so you just, nope. do you have a handbrake or do you? I do a... have a big old staging brake that looks like oh, a drift do? staging brake. Yeah. Oh, yep. okay. And, and so I, you... I, I, I'm a fan of preloading myself. Oh, you do, oh, yeah. right? That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So My you, staging procedure is, is uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Go ahead. Okay, so my staging procedure is, is I'll come in and I will light the top bulb and I will have my foot up a little to where the car is dragging, you know, just a tiny bit and the staging brake will hold it back. And then I'll wait or, you know, I don't, I don't care to play games with the tree. I can go in first. I can go in second. I, none of it really phases me doing it as much as I have. So I actually keep the car revved up to about 65, 7,000 RPMs, kind of like just holding there, like about 30% throttle. And then when that comes up, and let's say I, you know, he lights the bulb, I go in light bulb, it, I floor it, I keep the, my foot where it's at, I hold it back still enough to where if I, if I let off the staging brake, the car pull forward. And uh, it only takes eight tenths of a second to go from zero to 25 to 35 pounds of launch boost. And then I just I just jump the clutch and that at the same time and off I go. I was going to ask you how much boost. That is amazing. I yeah. typically run like fifteen pounds of boost. I feel like a little kid. <laughs> like... And is is, is 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 well, you know, like you said, double the size of the motor. So, yeah, if you um, is your car <laughs> your car on a radial or a slick? Probably radial, right? Um, when I go to Sick Week in Florida, <laughs> where the tracks are great. Um, I've been running a radial and then I've, I've mm -hmm. ran a slick up here, but, uh, um, still got some chassis stuff. I'd like to run the radial all the time. Um, mm -hmm. but down in Florida, it makes, makes you feel like a hero makes, makes anyone seem like they're a good chassis tuner, but the, the tracks are so sticky are... down there. Like, yeah, yeah, I wish the radial, I think it'd be very difficult to control the radial in a true all wheel drive car. Um, without really like a true slipper of some sort because this car just blows the front tires off right away. So there's a lot of wheel speed right away that actually helps it. I learned this last go, um, I've got some suspension stuff to mess with, but I would launch the car and the car plant. And then about two and a half, three feet out, it would unload and then the rear tires would spin. And that's the first time I've experienced this because it's the first time I've launched the car and it didn't bog. Um, like the 771 at 192 actually bogged down to like 5,500. That was the first time that I was able to hit the car so hard to where it actually spun all four. So the suspension, we're going to add some more rebound into it so that I can get it from that squat and hopefully stay there. I feel like the slip car works better with a little bit of slip still, uh, a yep. little bit of wheel slip all around. And I don't have very much experience with the radials, but I watch them all and I, I see that if they spin, there's not much of a pass. It's yeah. over, you know, so. Violent. Um, they shake so yeah. hard. Yeah. So I've ran a Toyo RD8. This car has been like 860 at 186 on a Toyo RD8R all around. 
And uh, I have to be very, very soft off the line with the clutch on that one because if it spins too much, it just has that it wheel hops and the whole car shakes and your dash looks like it's going to fall out and your teeth are chattering. It's <laughs> we all pro we all know that feeling. Just wait yeah. for something to snap. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. What's going to break next? So, yeah. yeah. Um, if I end up doing a drag and drive, I have that. I have a, a M&H bias ply, like an old school looking um, uh, bias ply tire that is is a very not very easy tire to get. But I've been 80 on that tire and it's a true DOT street tire. Nothing. Wow. So that's that's my dream. Not to not change wheels or tires the entire time. And hope you don't get caught in the rain. Hope I don't get caught in the rain. Well, I feel like no matter what I drive, if I get caught in the rain, I'm pretty much just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's so you have a, awesome. Do you have a on your car? No, I used to have a full under tray on the car, like a, when I used to do half mile events. So this car has been 216 and a half mile before, um, which is, you know, it's, it's hard to, to, to say like how you compare that, but the easiest way I always tell people is if you took a Bugatti Veyron, you put on the half mile to do 170. So that gives you an idea of how fast, um, and you're doing it on an airport that doesn't have any prep whatsoever. So traction is, is the biggest problem. And, uh, so I used to have a full under tray on the car. So a two piece under tray, there's a front under tray that goes on it that has the catch pan and everything built in. And then the rear has, uh, I have an entire, like, uh, I think a 10 and a half foot diffuser I built that, you know, all of it worked, all it was good. Someone ran it over an event I was at and I have never put it back on because ever since then it just kept going faster. So uh, <laughs> it's an extra 60 pounds in the car that I don't need. And wow. uh, it makes the car difficult to work on because you can't get to anything. You can't put it on jack stands very easily. So I have everything to design another one, but I haven't. Um, obviously this car, it's kind of, surprising there's a hole in the hood so that's vent a vent there i learned that the hard way uh mm -hmm. not having one when i first did the under tray in the car the um all the air coming in has to find a way out right you got this huge massive uh you know in inlet on there and uh the entire under tray blew out on a like 180 on a half mile vent so that mm -hmm. day i just cut a hole in the hood and like i never had an issue since so then i finally did like a nice vented hood and so, you know, a lot of the, you can see some cool pictures of the car at about 100, 150, 60, 70 miles an hour. You can see the heat sink coming right out of the hood and it kind of follows the car right after. Also really amazing pictures when it blows up. All of that. <laughs> yep, all the parts. So, yep, all the parts or uh, I've got a pretty good video. It blew up at a half mile event years ago at like 208 miles an hour. And it just, the entire windshield was oil and you couldn't see a single thing yeah. so there's positives and negatives in the holes and hoods wow wow yeah that's uh parachute breaks and uh yeah hold on tight and that time i didn't have i had i had the factory power brakes still so uh you know i i, I flipped the chute i was on the brakes i couldn't see this way so i was looking out of the corner of my eye because on the you're on the, you're on an airport so I knew where the grass was, and I knew that the closer I got to it, the safer I was in terms of oiling it down for everywhere else. And uh, I think it took like seven or eight seconds to go from 200 to uh, completely stopped. And I think the engine was still running and when I tried to get out, so because it was all smoky. So I didn't know if it was on fire. You know, that's my biggest fear is fire. So, um, yeah. 
one of them at least. So I'm curious when you're at events racing, is there a lot of yeah. smack talk or lack of camaraderie from the traditional domestic rear wheel drive guys to the import guys? Cause you guys are putting the beat down mm-hmm. on a lot of, a lot of rear wheel drive, traditional V eight type stuff. You know, I feel like most of the people I've been around, um, depends on where you go in the USA because there's always import haters everywhere you go yep. and there's always that, but you know, I'll be honest, like most of the places I've gone, if I've never really gotten into any, I, I'm, I'm not much of a shit talker. Like I just, I'm just kind of who I am. And, uh, you know, yeah, we can all get in those arguments we're talking, but I, I, every time I bet on myself, I lose. So I stop betting on myself too. <laughs> so I just, I just go out and like, I'm just like, yeah, man, let's go. Let's have fun. Like I'm all about that, but there are a lot, there's a lot of shit talking with a lot of people and, uh, you know, imports around here, yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not the outcasts, but like the, a lot of the tracks are like, oh, uh, oh, you're an import, oh, imports over there, like they're, it's still the same thing, you know, you still get it, uh, I would say, yeah, there's definitely still a lot of people who, who are like, oh, imports suck, but, you know, there's also probably more, way more people that are like, man, it's amazing what you guys are doing, which I think that it truly is, like, you know, I think what Granis still has the highest mile an hour for a stick shift import or right. So a stick shift uh, car, right. Or is, no, I think, I think he's been two twenty something. Oh, maybe mile an hour. Yeah. I yeah. Mile, mile an hour. hour. He's got the mile an hour. So the imports are, you know, they're, I think the right, the right engine, the right combo behind them, they're, they're, they're better, you know, they're, they work. The, yeah. The advantage I see that you guys have, especially now that you're incorporating all wheel drive stuff is, a, it's traction because the front wheel drive cars have always had that issue, like yeah. launching them. They, they always will for life. There's no way yeah. around that one. <laughs> you have the traction. You're making insane power, especially for the size yeah. of the power plant. But the weight, mm-hmm. I mean, like like your car, and educate me here, but I feel like your car is on the heavier end of the import stuff. Some of these things are sub mm-hmm. 2,000 pounds, are they not? A lot of the classes we were, we race in require the cars to be a certain weight. So like all the front wheel drive cars with like a 73 millimeter turbo have to be 2450 with driver. Okay. Um, okay. My car is definitely a heavy car in the Acura or Honda race world for sure. It is probably 100, 100 to 150 pounds heavy compared to most of the real fast um, all wheel drive Hondas or all wheel drive cars in general, uh, other than obviously GTRs and stuff like that. Um, I, I do think you can get them really light, but I also know that you get these cars too light and then they're too light. Then traction becomes even more of a problem, uh, if it's a front wheel drive car, you know, and like you guys probably figured like weight in the right place is a key thing here too. So, um, and it's kind of a catch 22. If there was 300 pounds out of my car, would it put, would it, it, it should definitely go faster will it be able to put down the same amount of power in second gear is the real question. There's that argument, you know, and, you know, I don't know, I don't know enough. I haven't been there yet. So I, you know, yeah, if I got a hundred pounds, 150 pounds out of the car, I would feel much better because the car would definitely go quicker and faster and be easier on everything. Like we talked about earlier on your car. So, um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's such a, such an impressive car because yeah, I mean, you don't even have to do a burnout. So the no mm-hmm. prep scene, have you, have you played in the no prep scene? I think you're on the West coast though, aren't you? So 
I'm on I'm on the West Coast, so I'm I'm definitely I'm in not just the West Coast, the Northwest. So uh, where um, we don't have uh, so I've I've been to uh, I've done some no prep stuff. Um, I was I did uh, a couple years ago or 2022. I filmed with Street Outlaws. They did a series that um, was like their street car series, yep. and so like I took all the stickers off. I, I left the stickers on the car, but I pulled a parachute off, put full interior in the car, made it look like a tow the street car. Uh, they, they said that you had to run ethanol. So I ran a ethanol methanol blend and, uh, <laughs> we're talking like 10% ethanol, mix it in, just left everything the same. Um, they required us all wheel drive cars to run a, uh, a hard tire of some sort. So I ran a toil on that. Um, and, you know, I wish that I could go back to that because I've learned so much racing this car, the clutch setup, everything about it, that my car is like a whole second faster now. So, like, to me, I could go back and be much faster. But, and I'd love to do no prep races, truthfully. Like, I've never actually been on a, on, a, on, a, on a no prep, on a road that is prepped. Every road that I've been to is like a virgin road. And this car has been 580 in the eighth on a virgin road on a Toyo. So on a virgin road. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I do think you put it, put some of these cars on real virgin roads. Like, you know, I've, I've learned enough that I watched the, the road come around after a lot of burnouts and stuff. It yeah. comes around fast on the right road. So really all wheel drive to me only ever has an advantage on a, uh, on a very virgin fresh road. Um, even when you get into really good roads, the rear wheel drive cars are still a little better, you know, and I guess if we took a rear wheel drive car with a stick and a clutch, I think that would change a lot of stuff, you know, um, yeah. but a lot of these turbo 400 cars or power glides or whatever they have, uh, you can really control the power management. You, you, you're not worrying about, is my clutch a little worse here or is it going to grab a little more? Did I preload it way more and it just grab a little different? Like there's a lot of little things that happen. I'm sure you guys know. So, yeah. yeah. Talk to me about the word or what color your purse is either. <laughs> that's exactly. True. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, none of us want it. Yeah. Like that's the thing. It's like you're in a car that you've got, you have to bang the gears and like you have to go through that. And like, yeah, like you said, it's a lot easier to race some of these other cars. Like, the six shift racing is just so much more fun because like, you know, Texas proved that anything can literally happen. Anything can happen. You yep. could go against the number one qualifier and he gave it a little too much in second gear and it just spun the tires and then you're ahead and it's a chase to the end. And that's what meant my semifinals between me and Granis were. It just, he gave it a lot and the track couldn't hold at that time. It was getting colder out. Someone may oiled it down, whatever, but you know, you literally get down to, anything and anyone can win it's not it's never the fastest car it, well fastest car does win quite often but most of the, a good chunk of the time it's not the fastest car that wins i mean i think chuck i watched thick week last year you won in the end didn't you yeah yeah there was yeah three, and, and you weren't the fastest car by any means no there was three cars that all had 750 certs um, yeah. yeah and um yeah they they all broke before yeah day two was over and so then I was yeah. half a second faster than the next guy, Frank Romano. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't back it down a whole bunch. I just didn't turn it up. And yep. You just, you didn't need to, you just had to kept it there. Yeah. 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 Not yeah sure it's that crazy. Those guys that went out, they only put what 
200 miles on the car, Rich, and you'd already done 3,200, right? Yeah, that, that to me is that, – that takes a lot of dedication and, and honestly super impressive. So that's – you know, I'm, I don't think I'm going to drive it 3,000 miles, but uh, I definitely am truly going to start on trying to do – I think I'm not signed up for anything yet, but there is like a Northwest Dragon Drive, I think, that's called Redwood Wiley that if everything – so I'm the kind of guy, like, I'm going to make sure, even though, like, I know that there's going to be things I don't know what's going to happen, I'm going to do everything I can to know that the car is as ready as possible. Like, if I can't drive the car two hours with my jet ski towed behind it this summer, then I'm not even going to attempt to go to one of these Dragon Drives. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Because so it's a lot of, you know, say that again? Do you have an overdrive in your car? No. I mean, I can put a taller fourth gear in it. So it'd be like a 909 fourth gear. Uh, right now it's a 1045 fourth. Um, I can go to a, a 909 fourth or a 1045 at the moment. So, you know, 65 miles an hour is like 35 to 4,000 RPM. So it's kind of Ooh. annoying. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's what keeps, it's the only thing that keeps, cause I'm 521 cubes and, uh, and Pontiac. So, not not a lot of mm -hmm. spare parts at Kmart on the way uh, on the way down there. Yeah. And, <laughs> or AutoZone. <laughs> or AutoZone, and so I have a 350 rear gear with a 0.56, so I can go. Oh, that'd be nice. Up. So what, 1500, 2000 RPMs or something? Yeah, it's like 1700 RPM is 80 miles an hour. So yeah, that's yeah, cool. I, the engine's cool because you got so much airflow at that speed, and yeah, um, your sanity's still there because it's not high rpm but wing in itself high you you, don't, you have a dog box or what kind of trannies in it yeah it's a it's a face plated um six speed so okay so helical gears still uh yeah they are actually yeah. a little bit so it's a little bit of a twist relati yeah. relatively quiet in comparison to uh to these yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah let's just say i'll be like cletus with the sound canceling uh, everything to talk to the guy next to me. <laughs> yeah. 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 So Miles talk because I'm not super familiar. Talk to me about the Hitmaster and how it works. Cause I am, I am, I mean, I know you're intrigued. You're curious. <laughs> I, I am curious. I mean, I mean, clearly him and I are in the same space for clutch control, yep. but yeah. tell me more about that. Cause I don't know a lot about it. So, um, it's essentially, uh, there's a valve, a line lock in the middle. There, it's I guess the valve itself is they, they they he doesn't call it a valve. He calls it like a regulator, I believe, yep. is what I've heard him call it. Um, I, he's someone's going to correct me on this, I'm sure. Um, but it's like a flow regulator, a valve of some sort. So, you know, the further you you further you push it in, the more pressure it bypasses, right? So the more pressure it bypasses, which means that the clutch pressure should be higher. Um, so when so you like, it in, does it release faster or slower? Slower. Okay. So it slows it down the more you crank it in. Correct. But, and then you, the, the line lock itself, um, it holds it where you want, right? So you have, it's kind of like a two stage and it drops it fast, right? It drops the clutch right away. And then the, the line lock holds it at that once it's activated for time distance mile an hour 
He has a, a whole close-up system that you can get that's a timer-based. Obviously, I have the ECU control it based off vehicle speed and engine speed and, and stuff like that. So um, it's like a two-stage valve, I guess you could say. It drops right away because, like, the Magnus valve is just like a single, like, you know, parabolic-looking half. You know, it's it works, but it's very slow to cut a light. You can't – it's really difficult to cut a light on that kind of – when, yep. like, I can cut a light on this. So – when I drop it, it drops it. It holds the clutch at that desired pressure that I've come up with, and you just come up with that by just playing with it of what works on your car. Holds it at that pressure until the line lock drops it, which or when you act like mine, I think drops it like 45 miles an hour roughly, mm. and uh, it just lets it go. And then it 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 you know hopefully you slipped it enough or not too much, not too little to where you didn't bog, and it's just in that right range. Um, I hope that explained it <laughs> a little bit. So it's, it's pressure based. So you don't ha necessarily have to have the clutch all the way on the floor. When you launch the car, it, no, it be, you don't yeah. you are preloading it and slipping it a little, but you're holding it with the handbrake. Yep. Yep. Which all of that ties into whatever pressure you thought worked. Like, let's just say I launched my car at 700 pounds of pressure and that's how I set the valve without station it being stationary. When you rev the engine up and you preload it, all of that changes. So I've I've just learned that, okay, at to cut this 60 foot with this car this day, this was the pressure that I set it at. And then I look at when I launch the car, I have a little in the in the dash, I have a little position thing that shows the the pressure. So if I'm not, you know, if I'm making sure I have the right amount of preload on it, and the dash is telling me, hey, we're in that range, you're you're good. Green light. You know, some yeah. people. Green light, we're good. Um, I know some people put bright lights in to let them know that they've, you know, there's a lot of things that people do. Um, yeah. I do a lot by feel and how the car feels, and then I look at the data after. Um, mm. So it's, I think it's super simple. It's nothing really crazy, and you can get it, and it has the timer base. So, and he'll kind of tell you that, you know, uh, 1.3 seconds is like this, and I don't think I've learned that myself with my car because i think every car is a little different um it's a very simple thing it works really good um you just have a little setup and and it doesn't matter everywhere you go it's going to be different depending on if you have a front wheel drive all wheel drive rear wheel drive car what tire every setup is going to be completely different so um i think it's super easy i've i've looked into yours actually I've, i almost stopped by and, and talked to you at pri but i i've you know how pri goes something happens so fast um <laughs> So everything's uh, what's this what's this what's this yeah 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 so how can you explain how yours works just because i'm extremely always curious about something better if, if it's out there yeah and and i don't know that it's better grant really um he he started the way with the original clutch tamer and i think he's done great stuff so i am not yeah. gonna say anything bad about it because he's <laughs> been nothing but fantastic online with comments and stuff too so yeah yeah, we're just in the same space. Um, so, yeah. so the the bank shift Billy is it's all time based and it's activated okay. off of a clutch switch, and okay. it that the the setting of that clutch switch is absolutely crucial to making it work. And yeah. there's been some arguments that oh yeah, if you dump the clutch slow, it's going to affect it. You dump it fast, you just have to dump the clutch the same every time. And I don't exactly, think that's yeah. too difficult. I mean. You're going to dump the clutch, you dump the clutch, you just sidestep it. 
Yeah. Um, For people who don't race a lot, it's probably difficult because they're not used to it. But us who yeah. race our cars all the time, it's it. We we like to think we're the same every time. Yes. Yeah, so, um, in similar terminology to the clutch tamer, mine you can you adjust the bite point so you can cut a light because if if the clutch pedal stroke is four inches long, the first three mm -hmm. inches it doesn't do anything. It's not engaging or biting yet. So yeah. it'll go right through that first three inches. Then you fine tune that bite point or the engagement point, and that's okay. That will change if it's a no prep. You can't hit that bite point as hard. If no. it's a really prep track, you don't think you're going to break the car. You can hit it a little harder, and then you can set either a ramp for release, or you can mm -hmm. do hold time, which is exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Same kind okay. of thing, and then it releases. And you can do a combination of both as well. Um, we have some people using them in uh, uh, like tractor pull type deals, and they're slipping the clutch uh -huh. way longer than we would ever do track uh, car. Yeah, yeah, probably, you, probably. You see the videos, the shower of sparks coming out of these trucks. But but yeah. that's it. And and you make adjustments uh, to it via an app on your phone. It connects via Bluetooth. And you just that's make super. settings and then that's it. You don't have to have the phone in the car once you set yeah. it up. So. That definitely seems super cool to be able to have an app on your phone. It's like, let me just adjust this right here. So that that seems like a pretty good design though. Um, depending on, like you said, a couple of things that uh, you know, someone wants always bitch about how like, I dropped the clutch the same way this time. And, and uh, did you? Yeah, and, and you know, I will say that like, again, the micro switch setup is super imperative. Um, I know, yeah. you know, I went out, uh, Mike Finnegan has one on blasphemy and I went out there and okay. he, it's a very stressful day because the end result was not really <laughs> what I was hoping for. Uh, <laughs> some challenges, but in all fairness, um, we spent half the day working through some other things on the car that had nothing to do with the transmission. Nothing to do with, it probably had nothing to do with anything you did. And it's usually how it goes. Like we're always constantly screwing with our cars and it's like everything yeah. we wanted to work on that day. We couldn't because we had the other shit yeah. we needed to work on. Exactly. Um, and that car is a little different than my car, than a lot of the other cars, because at 3,000 RPM with that blower, that thing's making like a 1,000 foot pounds of torque. Yeah. Like yeah. my car, turbo car, you know, uh, no, it's not going to make yeah. 20 pounds of boost at 3,000 RPM. That would be, that'd be a good trick. I may need to work on that. But uh yeah, so the, the yeah, power management on that car is a lot more crucial when it comes to the clutch side of it. It is. And and some yeah. of the changes that he's making that we didn't have at that point was the way that the clutch switch was set up. Um, and I actually want to post a video on this, but like on my own car, I have a, a little bracket on the clutch pedal with a fine threaded bolt, like a carriage bolt. And that bolt is actually the head of that is what engages the clutch switch because mm -hmm. The clutch switch itself, we, I use one of those Omron switches that like the pro okay. guys use and stuff. Sure. It has a spline shaft, but the spline shaft, it's a very coarse adjustment mm -hmm. like between the two. So you get yeah. it close, but then with that fine thread bolt, you can really dial in you can that, get it even closer. Yeah. that point where yeah. it needs to be. Um, and, and that's how it works. I mean, is that, that's good. That's, that's in a nutshell. Hopefully that's that makes good. sense. That's cool. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, we could. We all wish we had a slipper clutch available. We didn't have to touch after every pass, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, Bill always harasses me because I have to jack my car up when I get to the track, loosen it all off. He's 
harassing me that I'm adjusting my app. And then, uh, <laughs> but for me, um, it, uh, it just about takes longer to jack the car up than it does adjust the the six settings. The weights. Or the six. Or, yeah, the six. I don't yeah. actually touch, I don't touch the weights, thank, thankfully, because weights are. You just pain. touch the actual, like, uh, um, uh, base the, pressure. The, the base pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Once, yeah. once, once, now you've got to the point where it's so set up and ready that. You know that all you have to do is chase, chase, uh, adjust the base. It's a lot nicer. And RPM. Yeah, yeah I've yeah, learned yeah. a lot racing with Rich on how a slipper clutch works, and I don't even have one. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. It actually That's it cool. works really, really well. Um, his setup, I, I really do like yeah. Rich's setup as well. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah without a, without a slipper clutch and forty one hundred pounds and fifteen hundred foot pounds of torque, you'd you'd struggle. Right yeah. 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 But, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you may have yeah. broken nearly everything. <laughs> Pretty much broken everything. Yeah. Well, I was just loading up yeah. the car for sick week and there was a spare transmission in there. There's a spare drive shaft in there. There's spare axles in there. There's a center section in there. <laughs> like I pretty much have the back half, a spare clutch in there. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And so, I saw the other day you posted, it's like, it was like minus 40 degrees where you're at right now. So do you drive the car from there to like good weather or do you trailer it from there? to good weather and then like drive from there. Like, how do you, I, I don't have, I don't have a trailer at all. <laughs> like, oh, people, I think people that's don't great. believe me, but yeah, I like, and I have, I do have a truck now, but it's a five cylinder Colorado that could, could oh, that's not towing anything. <laughs> get out of its own way. And yeah. Like, thankfully it's not minus 40 here. In fact, it's going to be pretty close to freezing when I, um, okay. Leave. And so That's what good. I tell people is I'm going to hop in the car and, and start driving and not stop until I see some green grass. But uh, <laughs> the reality is, is there is, a, you know, I mean, the polar vortex and there's some yeah. pretty cold weather. So <clears throat> yeah, I, uh, my brother's got a magnetic heater and my oil pan still steals. So I think I'm just going to bring that with me so that if I end up somewhere where it's going to be below freezing, because I, I have 2050 in the car. <laughs> And mm -hmm. yeah it's you, like yeah same yeah i would definitely uh as we saw in the little video the other day how thin that oil, how thick that oil is when it's cold it's just crazy well even 5 30 yeah. at minus 40 for 24 hours it's like it, it it's 20 50 in the warm yeah it's it's well it's yeah or it's not it's, it's, not, worse yeah. it's worse than gear oil at oh, after that's crazy hours. Yeah, yeah i don't know how yeah, that's I don't know how the cars all survive. Like Volkswagens, Mini Coopers, <laughs> there's so many of them. They don't even have block heaters in them. And so uh, they start up, mm. they make all kinds of noise, but amazingly, <laughs> it doesn't seem like there's any ill effects. <laughs> it is amazing. Yeah, what is curious, Rich, is a lot of the new cars, you know, they're running like the 0W20 or even the 015s, I think. Zero, zero 020s, yeah. 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 So be curious to see what that looks like, but it's still going to be thick. Actually, it's got to you know be what? thick. I I did test some zero twenty, and it was it was pretty good actually. Like even mm. after twenty four hours outside, it was uh it was it was the best flowing for sure. But yeah, that's I mean, awesome. That's good. I don't think I could run that stuff uh, and get out of my block in my den in the uh, in the Pontiac because yeah, I got big clearances. That's 
that's one of the things I'm kind of worried about with the billet block I have is we had to set the mains so tight because oh. of how much the block grows, right? Yeah. And I don't have a dry stump in this car. It's all stock. So, you know, they're like, yeah, I set it, you know, we set it like 1718, right, on the main bearing. But at 150 degrees, that's going to open up to probably, you know, three to three and a half, they say. Like, they say the block grows quite a bit. So, you know, what I'm used to is a 2.7 to 2.8 main bearing clearance. I'm I'm a foul tighter now. My machine shop's like, oh, you're, you're, you can't. You can't turn this over till the oil's up to 100 degrees. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, so that right now to me, like, I don't know. That's just what I was just told. So the billet block in terms of starting out, it's going to kind of, it's like, I don't really want to have to plug an oil heater in every time I go to run the, drive this car around. So that that is one slight concern I do have or annoyance that we'll see how that works out for me. Is the, so does billet move a lot more than cast? I believe the 6061, like it grow, it grows quite a bit more because this this actually has a steel girdle in it, factory. So the girdle Ooh. itself is steel, not aluminum. At least the bottom part is. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. It is amazing what that block puts up with. Like I can't believe you're putting that kind it, of. I I missed. Was it stock heads or is it aftermarket? It's heads? a stock cast head still. Yeah. 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 with just aftermarket parts in it yeah that yeah. is freaking amazing like i mean it's it's kind of like the coyote motor these days like they're doing pretty impressive stuff without a lot done to them from what i'm gathering like yeah. from what they are like i look at brett's car and i'm like like doesn't seem like there's anything super crazy there's nothing you know there's some stuff but it's not like it's a stock crank still right like you know like a and that's that's pretty uncommon in the V8 world to have a stock crank making 2,500 horsepower. Well, yeah, it is a short stroke. You know, it's a pretty light little motor. Um, yep. But yep. let me ask you this. So really, I mean, a function of horsepower production comes down to the cylinder head and how much air it can move. So like you got a four valve head. Exactly. Everybody's yep. got a four valve head. Yep. What kind of CFM, yep. like max lift, what kind of CFM do you see? Do you know what those numbers look like on your head? I don't know what the CFM is. I know max lift is, uh, you know, we're going to say the max lift on the camshaft is, I think, just under right at 12 millimeter on the intake side. So it's not even a half inch or right around a half inch, you know, lift. So not a lot, you know. Lift-ish. Yeah. No, yeah. Not quite. But it's like 480, I think, you know. But it's, it's yeah, it's like you said, everything's like an air pump, right? How how quick you can get the air in and out. And, and that's the... Uh, the big part why some some four cylinder engines just suck and don't make anything for power no matter what you do and then you know the these motors revved factory to 8000 rpms right or 7500 to 8000 so factory off the showroom floor so i think uh, it was a very efficient naturally aspirated motor factory that you've we've made a little better by porting the cylinder heads and the bull work and the valve grinding and the valves everything else around it when i think when did that thing make stock horsepower? Um, so I actually dynoed this car 100% stock, and it made 145 to the wheels. <laughs> I've added, I've multiplied the power by 10. <laughs> Maybe a little. 
I, I've got an even funnier part. I took the car down to the drag strip when it was completely stock and trapped 83 miles an hour. So I've added 100 miles an hour to the trap speed, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. That like, I have this, uh, I have this, you know, box of time slips here with all the, like, the first time, I th my first seven-second pass in here, and I've got the first 16-second pass in it, so... Yeah, like I've I've done a lot with the car and I've had it for a long time, so it's there's a lot of love with it, I guess you could say. I'll probably I'll definitely never sell it because no one's gonna ever give me what it's worth. So <laughs> all of us race car guys, we're like our cars are worth way more than what you're gonna pay. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I've wasted way more money than you'd ever pay me for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I added it up like a year and a half ago and I was like what it would take to duplicate the car in everything I could remember not including labor and it was over a hundred thousand yeah I, I I wonder I wonder if if you could build a reliable eight second or even a seven second car for under six figures I know lots of people will say they've done it this and that but I'm saying reliable not like a one one shot well, and is regardless. it you know, well, kind of, exactly. And it's, and the, the question remains, is it a shop building it? Is it you and you're getting the deals on every part? It's like a re like there's such a big range of probably 25 to 30% of a cost that you would, you would change. So I, I, I don't know that you could buy a car and have it dead consistent for a seven second call. I don't, I think it'd be pretty difficult. Well, yeah. I, I guess, you you kind of nailed it. I think really that your skill set that you bring to the table is going to be a huge exactly. factor. Because you look at that exactly the beauty bomb. They they don't have a ton of money in the car, but they bring a gigantic skill set to the game. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, and and it may not cost a lot to to get there now that they're there, but they probably spent and took a long time to get there. And so that's that's a key that's a key point. Like yeah. you said. And, and what is their time worth? Because it's hard to put a dollar figure on like like yeah you know you got three really smart dudes they put a hundred hours each into it mm -hmm. you pay them each you pay them for their time it's going to cost a lot exactly so like i think you know that's the thing is like it if you can't if you don't have the skill set yourself then it's definitely going to cost more especially if you have to take it somewhere to do it and there's you know that's one of the there are shops that you could take cars to, depending on what you're building, that they have the skill set and the mindset behind to be able to build you what you want and be a fairly decent, reliable car to a certain extent, obviously, if you're not trying to run sixes in a car that shouldn't even barely run sevens, right? So, you know, keep keep your goals, you know, realistic, right? Um, so, yeah, that's that's one of the things I always deal with with customers. Like, oh, I want to make a 1,000, 1,200 horse. I'm like, are you ready to build a second motor, like, right away? Like, cause it's not if, but when there's a problem at that power level in a four cylinder. You, you know what I think is so funny is everybody says, oh, I want to make a thousand horse in a street car. Like, yeah. have they ever driven that? Because oh, exactly. I, I've found, and I drive around on radials, you know, 275, mm -hmm. like a, a Toyota, like it's a decent radial. And yeah. I've found anything over about 700 horse on the street is it's frankly dangerous. I mean, it's neat at first doing burnouts at 70 mm -hmm. miles an hour on the highway until you just about crash. And then it's like, exactly. Dude, this is not fun. Like, like 700 is, yeah. is good because on a normal day, if it's real cold out, it 
becomes more of a handful. But on a normal day, yeah. third and fourth gear, you could pretty much lay into it at about, you know, I have like seven pounds of boost. It makes about 700 tire. Yeah, and it's yep. good. But first and second gear, yeah, it'll still just destroy the tires. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it used to make 980 tire on the street, and it was just retarded. Like, it was cool, it, but it's just dangerous, and it's not worth the – to me, it's just not worth yeah. the risk of almost crashing. It's just not. In a, in a two-wheel drive car, front-wheel drive or rear-wheel drive, it definitely not. You know, all-wheel drive cars, what they bring is is the ability to put that power down so much Correct, you know, so yeah. much better. Like, before I went to Street Outlaws, I did testing on a closed road. And uh, luckily, it was like a five-lane road. And it was oh, – yeah. Yeah, uh, it was definitely not a closed road. <laughs> it was somewhere in Mexico, yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. – um, I actually was just doing eighth mile hits and uh, I actually went first, second, let off the top of second and it coasted to a six zero in the eighth. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, the next pass, it actually broke the front differential in the transmission, kicked the axle out that all that power, because the way this T case is driven off the diff itself, it actually put all the power to the rear tires. And I've got this video inside and outside of this car sideways at 100 miles an hour, like this and then like that, and like this, and you're catching it. And I was like, you know what? That was the last time I cared to do any of that shit on the street. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And so everyone's like, oh, you don't know how to drive. And I'm like, dude, have you ever been in a car that had full traction and then went straight to rear-wheel drive? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, everybody wants a thousand horse, but the reality is, and, and a stick car, I think, is different than an auto for sure, because the application is yeah. so different of the power. Yeah. So. And they're just more rowdy, like a, a, a thousand horsepower car that you have to bang the gears, whether it's for, you know, rear wheel drive or all wheel drive. It's just every shift, it's like it power comes back on and it's just nasty. And <laughs> you don't get that like a. Like I have a customer, we we built him an Evo that ran 90 at 158 and, and Bandamir, right? And uh, he has a 2200 horsepower Lamborghini, right? And he's like, the Evo is a more scary, rowdy car, like in terms of the, to drive it, how it feels, what it does. Is, when, it, like, the, is it green or silver? The, his is red. His okay. is red. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he went uh, – I think he has the Colorado record right now. He's been – the car's back here to go to Texas. We're going to make more power. But he went 9-0 at like 158 in Bandamir right before uh, – sometime in September or August, I think, sometime around there, yeah. Nice. Just before Copart took over the track, right? I was just going to say just – it was he was one of the last track rentals that Jamie and those guys, they, they did it too. So yeah. he was one of the last ones to be able to go down, yeah. Yeah, wow. That's – yeah, that's getting it, especially at altitude. Definitely, definitely, yeah. yeah. Awesome. You got any more questions for him, Rich? Uh, well, there's a couple uh, from the audience here. I see, um, where did the name English Racing come from? And then the last one, uh, where did where did the name Gringo? Gringo, Gringo Tegra come from. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> so uh, English, English uh, my boss's name is Lucas English. So uh, uh, English racing, that's where it came from. Not, not anything to do with English cars. Just He just came up with the idea of English and English racing. So that's where that one come from, came from. Uh, 
this car, so I grew up in the Dominican Republic, and uh, I lived down there from the age of, uh, I think, 11 to 18. So I went to high school there, middle school, high school, went to a British school there, uh, learned Spanish. And me looking like I do, going down to a, you know, quite dark country, you know, Haiti's right next to us. So I was called gringo since day one. That's gringo. just what it was. And yeah, so gringo. And then uh, I bought an Integra and I created a sign-in name on Honda Tech in like 2006. And I was like, what do I come up with? So I'm like, well, gringo Tegra. I've got an Integra and this, this, that's the name. And that just stuck. And it's kind of been like that ever since. That's awesome. No, that makes, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and 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 everyone's like, oh, that's being racist or this, and I'm like, it's like, dude, I grew up there, like I speak Spanish, like I I live the culture, like that's just who they called us white people. They called any foreigner actually that went there a gringo, whether you're American, British, whatever, you're gringo in all Latino countries. You know, it's funny you say that because uh, there's a, it's not really a meme, but it's a short video clip of like a white dude, a gringo dressed up mm -hmm. you know, in the Mexican garb and everyone's Oh yeah, I know I know what this one is. Yeah. Yeah. He goes to some Mexicans and asks them what they think and they're like, Oh, it's awesome. That's is, this yeah, is we love it. I love we it. We love it. It's such bullshit. Yeah. It's and then they went to the, the Karen's and they were like, Oh, we just think that's just not right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, funny how that works. Yeah. It is. You said this I didn't know this was live actually. You said there were some not... comments. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Okay. Travis oh, gotcha. Yeah. Travis oh, perfect. I mean, not that I mattered. I was like, shit, where's it airing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's see here. So we have, and we may have pre-sent you these questions, but we have. TKO questions, yeah. There's yeah. one of them I've been trying to think all day, but you, you, we'll, we'll worry about that when we get to it. <laughs> Rich, you want to hit it first? Yeah, I think you might have answered it, but uh, first car you owned or modified? I, I didn't have this specific car, but in the Dominican, I had a 94 Acura Integra also. So uh, right. this, this one, this wasn't the one, but in uh, 2004, I bought uh, my, my, my aunt and my mom bought me a 94 Integra, just like this one, actually. Nice. Nice. Um, no. We're going to, we're going to slam it down to second gear. What yep. miles in your opinion has been the biggest technology change to move our sport forward? Feel like there's a couple of things but i feel like the data management of all the import stuff over the last five six years has gone kind of come a, a long way and knowing what to do with the data is being a bigger thing i think that turbo technology has come such a long way in the last five six seven years um and uh, i think more people racing has gotten a lot of stuff to you know learn how to keep these cars together more um, I, I, I do think data management's a, a big thing, you know, for everything we do, like, you know, we made this power years ago, but we've never, we couldn't keep it together. And as I, like we can now without the data that we didn't have back then. So I, those are kind of my answers on that one. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Uh, the first thing that happened when I got a, a ECU in my car was I realized I wasn't putting my foot all the way to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that data alone is really good to know why your car is bogging and it's like oh, yeah maybe yeah. the g-force yeah. is throwing you back and yeah it's did so i true. floor it here is the throttle yeah. not going 100 percent? like how's this working yeah 100 yeah. when you pull that data out you don't want anybody else to see it 
like, oh. and you. <laughs> you know what? It's yeah, for some reason. Not fast and long. <laughs> Deletely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. This is probably the difficult question. So this, this is the one I've been thinking about all day. I, 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 there's so many directions I could go with it, but yeah. Um, go ahead. Answer. Yeah. If you could spend one day with someone, who would it be? What would you do? I, I, that one was a difficult one for me. Um, cause the nature of you wants to go, Oh, I want to spend this time with this famous race car person or some sort. And then I was like, yeah, but then I've, I've met a lot of the cool people um racing a lot that i looked up to over the years so then i was like all right that's not really well i'm not about that (laughs) i mean i think the car is more famous than me i'm just the same person the car is what everyone knows but uh and then i thought about life experiences and people who've been through a lot in life and what kind of they they could offer to someone like myself just you know i'm not not old but i'm not young i'm i'm not super young i'm 36 so i'm kind of like mid-range right that what they call it it's over over the hill man (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm over the hill. So, um, and then like, I thought about like, it's just something I could probably take away something out of it in the end. So as weird as it sounds, uh, either Joe Rogan or Jordan Peterson would be two that I'd be just inter- like lots of life experiences with both of them, leaving politics out of it. Cause I'm not a very political person, but they, uh, there's a lot of life experience with Jordan Peterson, just everything he's done. So I thought he would be a good one. What we would do probably just sit and talk and eat all day probably um to just you know learn thing and then uh joe rogan just because uh you know same thing like he's more of a neutral kind of person i would say and he definitely uh he's talked to so many people he's super knowledgeable guy in a lot of aspects and and then i started playing golf again when i played when i was in the 20 and went in my uh i played out of high school which was when tiger woods was really up and coming so i'd spend a day with tiger woods thing feel like someone who's been in the public eye for so long accomplished so much and just lost 27 years or whatever sponsorship with nike like it'd be interesting to know like what the whole reasoning and all that so those were kind of my three <laughs> that's awesome yeah that's cool um yeah guy breaking the rules right off the bat yeah i don't that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so popping it into fourth gear what influenced you to build your cars or car? You know, not, I just kept wanting to go faster, honestly. And that, that really, there was, there was no, there was no vendetta to beat anyone. There was no, I want to do this and I want to be the fastest. Like I started by turboing this car and just having fun and wanting to be faster myself. And I never built the car out of uh, spite. You know, I feel like when you try to build something to beat someone or out of spite, it just never seems to work out right. So uh, for me, I just I just built it out of pure enjoyment. And, and you know, this is like my religion. This is I don't have kids. I'm not married. This is my this is this is my baby. So uh, it was really personal gratification and, and doing something that we could do. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. There's nothing like getting back in the car after you've been out of it for a while and making that hit mm-hmm. clean pass, especially in a stick car and you pull a chute and you're like, Oh yeah, baby. You're like, that's, yes. That's why I spent all that money. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Everything yeah. worked. Yes. Yeah. Texas will be the first one for me. So I have some hefty goals for Texas. Awesome. Um, yes, we should talk about that before we leave what your, what your plans are after this. Um, yeah. And then uh, the next question, we're going to bang her into, I guess we're in fifth gear. Fifth gear, yep. 
Yeah, what, in your opinion, is the, the secret to stick shift freezing? I think data management, uh, managing, seeing how everything works, I think that's a big part of it. Um, knowing what to do with that data, which you collect over the years, if you do it yourself, um, that's a that's a big part. I think, too, clutch management is is something we could talk about. Maybe that could be in the data management side, too, though, you know. Um, and uh, honestly, seat time, because uh, some cars are extremely easy to drive in terms of launching them. But when you deal with like a small motor, a big turbo, knowing how they need to slip the clutch, all these things. So I truly think just getting out there and racing your car a lot, learning it and enjoying it. I think those are probably the two biggest things to me, seat time and, and data management, knowing what to do with the data. And if you don't know what to do with the data, pair yourself with a shop that does or somebody who does that can help you improve. Nice. Now we're going to go into the unknown for you. I know that, but six okay. is pretty nice. <laughs> so yeah. what advice, yeah. Yeah, what advice would you give to someone getting into this sport? I think it kind of ties in with that last one. If yeah. um, go out and race your car a lot, right? Enjoy your car racing it. Um, you know, look at some stuff online to make sure, you know, things definitely not to do. Like, don't sidestep your clutch in, like, you know, on a hard tire on the drag strip and let off, you know, le learn to maybe what doesn't feel right uh, when your whole entire car shaking when you're doing something. It's probably not healthy. It's not good for it. <laughs> um, so I think, uh, you know, and if you want to take it to the next level and you want to go faster, and if, like you, we talked about earlier, if you don't have the skill set to do that yourself, find somewhere that does or someone who does that's willing to help you. Or if you've got the budget, take your car somewhere that can build the car for what you want and then have them help you progress from there. That's that's what I would say. Awesome. I like it. I think that's that's super smart for sure. Before we run uh, what, um, yeah. what's, next, what's next for you? What's your next event? Uh... Yeah, TX2K again will be, uh, I'm competing in both the stick shift class and uh, the roll race class because uh, I like to roll race and I'm the only car that's basically a four cylinder car that's been over 200 in the roll race there. So um, I want to I wanna make the, they call it the Elite Eight, which probably be pretty difficult because I probably have to go like 205 to 210 in the roll, which in 1500 feet, which is a lot. Um, and then my goal for this year, there's, there's two big goals for this year, a seven five Oh and 200 miles an hour is the goal for this car. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's good. Dreaming it happens in Texas, but I know how that goes. So I'm not going to say it's going to happen until I'm 199 and like next pass, this is the one. <laughs> Why don't you share on your social media and your business, to, um, you know, where people can uh, find out some more info. I know I uh, started watching a podcast before this one that you were on. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So uh, easy one, uh, uh, English underscore racing or English racing on Instagram and uh, Facebook. That's the shop that I manage. And then uh, my personal stuff is uh, Gringo Tegra on Instagram and on uh, on Facebook, I believe it's called Gringo Tegra, the, 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 the little Integra that could, was kind of a nickname that 1320 gave me many years ago. Uh, Cause this car, when I go to the roll races, you've got this Integra in a sea of uh, very expensive GTRs, R8s, Lamborghinis, um, Supras, like just, you don't see an Integra in the sea of all these cars. So they, 
deemed it the little integra that could in like 2014. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, yeah. Well, um, I think we'll wrap this up. Don't don't hang up though when we're done. Um, I, oh yeah, I won't. I'm here to stay. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Huge thanks to Stick Shift Nation for hosting this podcast. Travis Foster for working his magic behind the scenes. And, of <laughs> course, you can find the Clutch Burners podcast on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Um, and get on over to stickracing.com and get yourself a either Stick Shift Nation shirt, hat, or sticker, or, of course, a uh, Clutch Burners uh, T-shirt. And you can look super cool. <laughs> That's it. I need one now. I'm we're gonna, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna sign yeah. out. We're gonna call it good. Thank you, Miles. We appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. It's it's awesome. it's been super cool. So appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Yeah. Done.